Yo, everybody, what's up? This is the, as promised, Team Canada, Lebanon, React pod. So we're going to get into the game. Do not try this at home. I'm going to have to put on a one-hour podcast masterclass today, one hour or less. I actually created this rundown, got a lot of notes, I actually learned how the FIBA World Cup works. So I feel like half the people listening might not understand this complicated FIBA World Cup format. So if you're tuning in for something informative, I definitely got you on that side. I got some big picture thoughts on Team Canada as well. Definitely in my bag for this one, man. Listen, here's here's what happened uh, before we get to the game. Let everybody know the context of, of how this podcast even came about. By the way, this is producer and co-host Alex Wong. Will Lu is on vacation in the Windy City right now, probably having a deep dish pizza. Apparently, he's playing baseball too and going to, I think, a Cubs game. So, you know, I, I hope I hope you're hitting at least one restaurant that was in the Bears season two, Will, and, and having a great time. So we did a four-hour podcast on Thursday, I want to say. This was Thursday evening. And one of the things that I always like to do towards the end of these podcasts is, is throw out some kind of guarantee. And I think I've threatened to do React Pods before when Will has been away on vacation. And it's just never come to fruition. Now, we know that Canada was coming off a 30-point win over France, which was super impressive in, in the opening game of group play at the FIBA World Cup. Now, we had recorded that before Canada had played that first game. So, you know, given the history of Team Canada, you're not sure. You know, even with the group of NBA players that they have, a very impressive rosters, a lot of optimism coming in. but just weren't sure how Team Canada was going to do, right? Especially in that first game against France. Now, you know, un- unbeknownst to me, because, you know, I'm not a FIBA World Cup enthusiast, I had no idea that, you know, Lebanon was was bringing, you know, uh, not a very good squad there. So, you know, at the end of the podcast on Thursday, I said, hey, Will, you're going to be on vacation. If Canada beats Lebanon and Latvia, which is their next game by 40 plus, I will record a react pod. So, you know, some life decisions were made this weekend, including the fact that, you know, as I'm recording this uh, around noon on on Sunday, you know, yesterday had had a great day. Met up with my friend Mark Savell. You know, went to Invintage We Trust because that's one of the three things that I do in Toronto. And then in the evening, I binged the Netflix series Hijack and finished it around two in the morning. Now we know that Canada was playing Lebanon at five thirty Eastern time, and you know, made the life decision. You know, it's August. The bosses tell us, you know, take it easy. Um, you know, when when the Raptors season starts, it's, it's going to be a really busy schedule. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go watch my nephew play softball today. So actually, I don't know if it's softball. I think it's actual baseball. No disrespect to the North York Blues. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to set my alarm to wake up like around 10, as I usually do. In fact, I did not even set an alarm. So I wake up around 10 and I just see a message from Will and a message from a few other people that, you know, Canada did, in fact, win. Uh, in fact, they won 128 to 73. A 55-point win over Lebanon in the second game of group play in Jakarta, Indonesia, moving to 2-0 now. And as I'm recording this, Latvia actually just beat France. So Canada is officially moving on to the uh, second round of group play, which I will explain a little later because I had to do some research to figure it out. And I thought, you know, why keep this information to myself? So I wake up and I realize, all right, I actually have to do this React pod, get my Zencaster login, make sure I do a backup record on QuickTime Player, uh, you know, email the homies at Sportsnet, 
590 the fan let them know that there's going to be a re- react pod coming because because i don't know aside from the blue jays crew who's actually working on sunday and, you know i got a little moment of panic you know haven't taken my anxiety pills in a few weeks so i'm feeling good especially coming off my vacation in asia in in seoul and tokyo shouts to everyone who's received heart warm uh heartwarming messages uh, on postcards from me so you know i messaged the usual suspects and the usual suspects when i want to recap team canada you know, I got to hit up my man V, Vivek Jacob, who who quickly laughed at me and said that he was in Mississauga. So that was a lost cause. And then I reached out to the off-strip boys, Lee Ben Osman, Oren Weisfeld, uh, to see if either of them, you know, I was so desperate. I hate group chats that I put them in a group chat and, and was like, yeah, uh, can either one of you please help me uh, give one particular, uh, you know, game recap, uh, describe one single play from the game so I don't have to do it. And I still have not heard back from Lee Ban, even though he's been uh, very active on X this morning. So I really appreciate that. Um, you know, shouts to the Wizard of Oz. Uh, Oren did reply and said, sorry, I also didn't watch the game. Um, but he's down to do a Latvia pod, which we might actually have to do on Tuesday. So here I am, just spent an hour learning about the FIBA World Cup, uh, learning about the history of the Team Canada men's national team. Uh, and, and here we are. So Canada, Lebanon. Uh, I, I think most of us, uh, I guess not me since I didn't set my alarm, was expecting Canada to win in a blowout. Uh, you know, they were up 29-13 after the first quarter, up 36 at half, and scored 100 points in, in the first three quarters. So as I mentioned, they're 2-0 and now. Um, Canada's officially clinched a spot into the, the next stage of group play, and they're going to be playing Lafayette on Tuesday. Uh, to wrap up, they set a record today with 44 assists that is the most assists in a single game at the FIBO basketball world cup since data was officially recorded from 1994 uh which does bring me to the question uh why weren't we recording data uh mr FIBA before 1994 this seems like too recent you know when someone breaks like a wilt chamberlain record it's like yeah you know per elias sports bureau uh, you know, we have not uh, seen a player have 10 blocks and uh, 15 assists since 1954. I'm just saying, man, 1994 actually seems really recent. So as I'm scanning the box score here, nine players in double figures. Uh, Shout out to my guy, RJ Barrett, who struggled on offense in that first game against France, bounced back with 17 points. Uh, Trey Bell Haynes, who I'm definitely familiar with, had 15 points, five threes and eight assists. They got 12 points each from Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who are the best cousin duel next to Carmi and Richie on the Bear. Um, also 12 points from Kelly Olenek and my half-Chinese brother, Zach Eady, who I consider as a full Chinese brother. He was perfect. Tossed a perfect game from the field. Six of six. Lou Dort was held out of the game. But, uh, you know, from my deep dive research, the injury does not sound very serious. Um, you know, so... This has been a really impressive start for for Team Canada, right? Like, you know, I definitely sound like Magic Johnson right now, scrambling to provide a, a game recap. And there you hear uh, a live alarm ring at 11.50. So I guess I did set an alarm to wake up at noon. Uh, do not try this at home. So I did ask people for their favorite moments from the game. 
And I have no idea if any of these are real. Um, you know, Jay Skeets told me that his favorite moment was every Zach Eady touch. Uh, that's definitely real based on the box score. Uh, another reply I got was Zach Eady, no look cross court dime to Dylan Brooks, who buried the corner three. Then Brooks proceeded to pretend to chop down a tree in celebration. This sounds, I'm going to go ahead and say this is not true uh, without doing an actual fact check, but. This uh, is right in line with what LeBron did to the Raptors in the playoffs uh, between, what was it between, like 2015 to 2018, I want to say. Let's never forget. I mean, I know we're all trying to forget, but let's never forget when he spun uh, the ball in Serge's face. And I believe in the same game, he pretended to drink beer, uh, you know, after the ball went out of bounds. I actually can't keep track now but if if you're looking for more lebron versus toronto highlights um you know just just um you know stay tuned to sportsnet i know last year they had a wonderful highlights package which was top 10 uh lebron moments versus toronto uh just want to say i just did my first uh time check to see how long this pod is and it's already nine minutes so i am feeling uh, a bit calmer um you know abby replied and said i was still sleeping that's why i need the react pod Abby, I hope this is giving you as much information as you're looking for. Uh, By the way, since we're in the business of previewing our episodes now, this is what Will and I do at the start of React Pods. We don't just start by talking about the content. We tell you the content that we're going to talk about. So I'm currently in the game recap segment of this React Pod, which I guess is what a reaction pod is. But I'm not going to try to do an impersonation of Will. You know, to do that, I would actually have to put on a Nike sweater, Adidas shorts, uh, Puma socks, and then a pair of New Balance from SVP. And I bet you that is literally what he's wearing right now in Chicago. Um, So that's the first segment. So I'm going to do this my own way a little bit, but also, you know, pay homage to him. Uh, By the way, it's homage, not homage. I've been saying that wrong. Uh, English is not my first language. Second segment is called How the Hell Does the FIBA World Cup Work, where I'm going to explain what it means now that Canada has qualified into the next group play and the teams that they're going to have to, uh, that you should pay attention to if, uh, you know, you really care about Team Canada's chances of qualifying for an Olympic berth through this tournament. I've also got some big picture thoughts about Team Canada. And then I've got who has the most to gain from the World Cup from Team Canada. So I picked three, uh, three people there, two of them players. And then I'm going to tell you my top 10 FIBA World Cup jerseys that I would love to own with some honorable mentions. And then we're going to pay homage to Will at the end with three stars and the Gerald Henderson Award, perhaps with a bit of a twist. But anyways, back to the game. Listen, man, shouts to the Lebanon squad. I know Will's expecting me to come on here and actually have a breakdown of the team. But, you know, when you lose by 55 in an international competition like the FIBA World Cup, you know, I think, you know, out of respect to Team Canada, I think it's only right that we don't mention anybody on Lebanon. Um, You know, congratulations on participating today. Um, I'm I'm sure most of the players on the court gave a a worthwhile effort. Um, But I think this is one of the things that I actually want to talk about. Um, So we're changing up the rundown in real time here with big picture thoughts is like, you know, looking at how impressive Canada has been through two games here. And listen, there's been a lot of heartbreak since the last time the men's program qualified for the Olympics. And I remember that very well. It was 2000 in Sydney. Um, I'm going to double fact. I'm going to double check that right now just to make sure I was correct. But, you know, that was back in the day 
there was a lot of excitement. You know, Steve Nash, you know, Rowan Barrett. I remember Tom McCullough, and it looked like you know the way that they were playing there that they they might you know might have been in contention for a medal. Obviously, once they got to the knockout stage, uh, they were eliminated pretty early. But from 2000 since now, you know. It's been so long, like that was the time when Vince Carter was with the Raptors. And, you know, we've seen documentaries like the Carter Effect. You know, I don't need to talk down to you guys and explain to you just the growth of Canada basketball over the past two decades. But what we've seen is just this influx of talent that's come through the NBA. And like, I remember as early as 2010. Um, and this was like right before we saw guys like, you know, Anthony Bennett, um, you know, Andrew Wiggins, Tristan Thompson, a lot of these guys coming to the NBA as they were going through like the high school system, as they were, you know, heading to college, there was so much buzz about just this being an upcoming golden age, golden era for Team Canada. And even back then, I remember Schauser, our colleague Michael Grange, covering these guys very closely. I remember, you know, reading articles from him about about Andrew Wiggins and you know all the hype uh, around this all. And remind me on the next banter pod to to tell you the story of running into Michael Grange at Asian Legend. Um, just wouldn't be appropriate. On, on a react pod because we're taking basketball very seriously here and you know one of the things as everybody knows in the past decade they have failed to qualify for the olympics and it's been tough right like there's been all these qualification windows where you don't get participation from nba players and then this is no disrespect you know to the to the scrub brothers you know to the canadian matt thomas brady Haslip. Like a lot of these guys have put in a lot of time while playing professionally to represent the team, but the talent level just hasn't been there. And on the odd times when there's these like last gasp attempts to qualify, or there's a tournament here and there where, you know, Team Canada can win and, and actually clinch a berth. You know, I remember 2016, they had a really uh, heartbreaking loss to France when there was an Olympic berth on the line. I think we all remember the loss to Czech Republic uh, a, a few years ago when, you know, they had a bunch of, um, you know, NBA players there. And, you know, the Arkells provided the opening to the television broadcast and, and got everybody super excited. So, you know, it's it's just been a lot of heartbreak. And that's why I think there was a lot of cautious optimism coming in to to the FIBA World Cup. And, and listen, by no means after the two games, you know, is is the job done. You know, show Sokobi, like job's definitely not done. But you know, I think there's a reason, you know, looking even beyond just this World Cup, you know, you're looking at the players that are here and, and you think about, you know, Jamal Murray, Andrew Wiggins, obviously not here. Um, you think about now the roster is so deep that, you know, even guys like uh, a Corey Joseph, um, who like five, 10 years ago, regardless of what point he was in his career, would be a shoe in to make this team, you know, couldn't couldn't even make the team. Right. And and you think about, you know, the the talent that is coming to. You know, I really think this FIBA World Cup has a chance to to really change the perception and change the way that we look at the Canadian national, uh, you know, men's team. Because, like, for a very long time, it was like, you know, winning was a surprise to to this program. You know, qualifying seemed like this, like, you know, mountain that, that you couldn't climb. And, you know, you know, even setting aside the fact, you know, Francis, you know, 0-2 and, 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 you know, Shosa Nicholas Batum, a.k.a. Jason uh, Tatum, that, you know, th- this is not like a prime France team. You know, they've got guys towards the end of their career. You know, they've got Rudy Gobert, um, who I get excited about every time the offense runs through him. Um, you know, they got Evan Fournier in their prime. But, like, this is still a team, like Will said, with with the credentials, right? Like, finished with the silver medal recently. Like, they've been, 
you know, contending for medals for so long now. And one of these programs that, you know, you expect to win at these tournaments for Canada to beat them by 30. And I would even count the exhibition game wins over Spain and Germany. Like those were super impressive. Like, I think the tide is turning now where, you know, maybe just maybe like depending on how, you know, Canada actually finishes at this FIBA World Cup, you know, depending on if they actually get to Paris for the Olympics, we can look at Canada as one of these teams now, right? Because on paper, you've always been able, especially in the last like five years, been able to look at Canada and say, hey, that's one of the best teams uh, that's out there. Because like, you know, it's not like Team USA is fielding a dream team. Um, you know, shouts to guys like Jalen Brunson, Austin Reeves, Anthony Edwards, uh, Mikhail Bridges. That's a really good squad. But, you know, especially if Canada was at full force, you know, if you told me Jamal was here, Andrew Wiggins was here, like I would put this Canada team up against any of the international powers and, and, and you know, Team USA as well. But for the longest time, they just there's been a discrepancy between what it what Team Canada is on paper and what they've been able to prove on the court. And through two games, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I know this program has disappointed a lot of us, uh, you know, many times over the years. You know, it really does feel like this can be, uh, you know, a huge turning point um, for for the program, I think. And I, I think, you know, under, you know, things that get underestimated um, or things that people don't think about when a program actually becomes... Um, you know, when winning becomes synonymous with a program and like, I guess you could draw parallels to the Raptors as well, especially during their, you know, golden age, um, you know, during the championship run and even the past decade when they were winning 50 games a year. It's like, you know, especially at a national team level, I think this consistent winning is just going to draw more commitments from players. Like this is a very simple thing. Like if the program is doing well, the program is stable um, and, you know, there's a group of players that are succeeding at the highest level. You know, how could you, if you're sitting at home, say, if you're, say, Andrew Nemhard, or, you know, I even think of the next wave of guys like uh, Omax Prosper, a.k.a. Lee Van Osmond's best friend, uh, Lem- Leonard Miller, a.k.a. Lee Van Osmond's other best friend. Like, these guys are going to look at the program and, and be like, yeah, I, w- I do want to be a part of it. You know, I do want to play at the highest level. I do want to compete against the best teams in the world and, and be able to, you know, say that I was part of a Team Canada team that, you know, made the Olympics, potentially medaled and all this stuff. Right. Um, I think that's a, that, I think this is a this is honestly a seminal moment for the program. And, and I'm sure for people who have followed Team Canada way more closely than than I have. Like, you know, there's just a lot of excitement right now. And and it's it's just a different vibe when winning is not a surprise and when winning is expected. Um, so those are those are kind of my big picture thoughts on on Team Canada through two games. Now, the other thing I was really curious about was like, how the hell does the FIBA World Cup work? Because I know two things. You know, I know there's 32 teams and I also know that the top two from the Americas um, at this tournament will get an automatic berth to the Olympics. So let's let's get into the first thing. So Canada right now, um, Canada and Latvia are both 2-0. So they're going to be qualifying into the, the next round. Um, so France is out. Um, Shouts to my boys um, from Lebanon. Um, they're also going to be out. So how it works is like right now there's eight groups in the preliminary group play. So eight groups of four teams. So that's 32. Eight times four is 32. That is correct, Alex. And the top two teams from each of these eight groups get reclassified into four groups. So basically 32 
becomes 16. Now, for Canada purposes, because they're right now, they're in either Group G or Group H. Yeah, they're in Group H. So the top two teams from Group G and the top two teams from Group H are going to come together and be part of a second group called Group L. So that's where Canada is going to be after they play Latvia on Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. Reactpod potentially coming soon. So Canada and Latvia are going to be the two teams that are going to Group L. And right now it looks like, and I don't think this is going to change, I guess it could, the top two teams in Group G are Brazil and Spain. So the next group will be, looks like, likely Canada, Latvia, Brazil, and Spain. So the records carry over, the point differential carries over, and what happens is they play two more games in that second phase of group play. Basically, you play the two teams from the other group that you didn't play. So Canada's not going to play Latvia again when they move on. They're going to play two games, one against Brazil, one against Spain. Again, this is assuming that they finish top two. I think it's likely it'll be those two. And then the top two teams from this second group will make it to the final phase, which is basically the quarterfinals, a knockout stage. Uh, so eight teams. So right now, Canada is in a great spot because we know that point differential matters as a tiebreaker. They're 2-0 and right now with a point differential of plus 85. Now, assuming they beat Lafayette, um, I don't think we can assume anything at these tournaments, especially the fact that Lafayette is 2-0 and even without Kristaps Porzingis. But let's say best case scenario, they finish 3-0. and Let's say they beat them by 10. They got a differential, point differential of like 95. That's going to be huge because Latvia is going to be in that next group with them. You'd be a game up on them already heading in. So you're 3-0, and whereas Latvia is going to be 2-1. and And there's going to be a less pressure. Like, you want to win every game, obviously. But the way I'm looking at it mathematically, if, the, if Canada's 3-0 and going into the second um, phase of group play, I think they would just need to beat either Brazil or Spain instead of having to win both games to finish top two in the group. Because if they win one of those games, they'll be 4-1. and And I think that puts them in a really good spot, especially with the point differential right now. Obviously, we have to see how the other games play out here in the preliminary group stage because some of these other teams are also racking up blowouts. Um, And if if you want to look even further ahead, assuming Canada makes it out of the second group of Canada, Latvia, and the two teams from Group G, then the uh, the team that finishes first in that group will play uh, the team that finishes second in Group K. And uh, if you finish second, if Canada finishes second in that group, they'll play uh, the first team from Group K. Now, Group K is going to consist of two preliminary groups as well. But I just did a quick scan of the standings. If you're really looking ahead to the quarterfinals, potential quarterfinals opponents will include Germany, Australia, uh, you know, Luka Doncic um, and the Slovenia team, and and even Georgia. Georgia is, um, you know, top of the table right now, as they would say, in the Premier League. So anyways... I know that might sound a little confusing. Um, it was pretty straightforward to me when I put it into this Google Doc as I was frantically prepping for this React pod that I was under pressure to do. But um, yeah, I, I think the summary is that Canada is is obviously in a very good position right now. Um, and I think the second thing that comes to play is like, okay, so what does it mean to be top two from the Americas? So the Americas region, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, you know, please, Team Canada, uh, Team Canada enthusiasts, if I did this wrong, uh, please absolutely do not correct me. Um, no, but please do correct me. Um, it's very important that we get the facts straight um, uh, on this podcast. Um, 
so the top two. So there's seven teams from the Americas that is in this World Cup pool right now. So Canada, obviously, USA, Dominican Republic, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and Venezuela. So, you know, the top two teams, uh, the top two finishes amongst these teams will get a Olympics berth. Again, this is from deeply studying the FIBA website for half an hour. I consider myself to be a pretty smart person when I want to be. So hopefully I have this right. So Canada, obviously, in great shape right now, 2-0 in Group H. USA, clearly, even though it's not the dream team, all that stuff, you would expect USA to be in contention. Um, probably still the favorite. Um, 1-0 so far in Group C. Another team to keep an eye on that might be competing with Canada for that second spot, especially if they both get to the knockout stage, is Carl uh, Anthony Towns and the Dominican Republic team. They're 2-0 so far. Um, if you care the point differential, they only have a plus 11 point differential so far, but that doesn't matter. But uh, that's a team to keep an eye on. Brazil is another team to keep an eye on, and that's why you know they're 1-0 so far in Group G. And if they do advance from group play, uh, Canada is going to play them. So Canada has potential to just like eliminate them, um, you know, if, if they prevent them from making it to the knockout stage. Puerto Rico, another team to keep an eye on. They're 1-0 in Group B. Um, and then the other two teams, you know, Venezuela lost their first game. Um, so maybe they will drop off after, uh, you know, the first group play stage. And Mexico, I believe, is already eliminated because they're 0-2 in Group D right now. So it doesn't look like they have a mathematical chance of, of going through. So really, if you look at it, it's Canada, U.S., Dominican Republic, Brazil, Puerto Rico. Those are the five teams that you're looking at right now. And if you assume that Team USA, and I don't want to assume this, I don't know if I'm not giving Team USA enough credit. Like, I know that's still a really deep squad. You know, shouts to my guy Spo as well and the coaching staff. If you assume USA is going to get one of the spots, then it's Canada, Dominican Republic, Brazil, Puerto Rico to see how far these teams can go. And, you know, assuming Canada gets to the quarterfinals, the the final phase knockout stage and they're looking in great shape right now especially if they beat Latvia on Tuesday then you know it's right there for them and you know not not to be you know my guy Matt Devlin like it's really right there for them so but we know how these tournaments work you know one slip up here two slips up you know slip ups there especially in group play um and suddenly you find yourself in a really tough position so it's a it's a very optimistic start, you know, clearly for Team Canada right now. But I don't know. I guess it's just a part of me that's, you know, seen these things gone sideways, you know, seen, um, you know, this Team Canada men's national program find ways to not make uh, the Olympics. So, you know, on paper, if I was just looking at this team, you know, independent of all the history, you know, I'd be sounding way more confident right now. But I, I think cautiously optimistic might be the uh the right approach uh quick time check wow 26 minutes this is pretty good i could i could just wrap up right now but for the love of the game gonna give you guys a bit more content so next segment who has the most to gain from the world cup so i was thinking a little bit about this because you know i love to be a big picture dude and i was thinking about just who has the most to gain from from uh you know team canada coming out of this FIBA World Cup experience. So, you know, I made a top three. See, I didn't put someone like a Shea Gilgers-Alexander in there because people have already talked about, um, especially my guy, Wendy, um, you know, shouts to Wendy having Ding Tai Fung in Manila while he's covering the FIBA World Cup. Uh, definitely listen to the Hoop Collective, one of my favorite pods, uh, even in the off season. And, you know, he was, you know, he's been talking about how, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander might be the best player in this tournament. So, you know, we clearly know what Shea Gilgis-Alexander can do in the NBA. He's an all-NBA player, probably a top 10 player. Um, you know, if I have to do a first-take segment, 
to you know beef up uh you know the 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 time on this pod you know i i will do anything for the love of the game um you know for this pod like i will do it but like that's um you know that's a top 10-ish player so i don't know if there's much to gain right like even if he leads canada to the to the fiba world cup um you know if they win the whole tournament listen that will be a great accomplishment for him especially since this okc team has obviously been rebuilding and and looking like they're finally going to be a contender or at least competing for a playoff spot this upcoming season like this would be his biggest accomplishment to date right so i'm not taking that away like there's a lot to gain there but i think individually for a player like shea like we kind of know who he is and i think i would put a guy like rj barrett in that category as well right like i think there's still room to grow for for both of those guys but at this point, I think it's pretty established. We know who these players are. So, you know, whether they do have breakout performances at the international level, it's not going to change their entire career trajectory. So I looked at it from that perspective. And who has the most to gain? Number one, I put the head coach, Jordy Fernandez, on there. Now, we know that Jordy, according to uh, Mark Stein, was one of the three finalists for the Raptors head coaching job. It was between him, Sergio Scariolo, who, you know, I think even on on this pod, uh, Will and I were like kind of assuming that Sergio was going to get the job. And then, of course, the other finalist who who got the job was Darko Ryakovich. Um, you know, even during this this offseason as uh, the associate head coach of the Sacramento Kings, who were obviously coming off a really successful season under Mike Brown, you know, Jordy got a lot of attention and you would expect that, you know, whenever there's a, especially a surprise good team in in the NBA that's where you see like the assistant coaches get get rated, right? We've seen this with the with the Raptors as well, right? Like never forget Nate Bjorgren's one year stint in Indiana. Uh, Chris Finch leaving in the middle right before a COVID outbreak uh, in Tampa. What did you know, Chris Finch? Please tell us. Um, and so Jordy, actually, aside from interviewing for the Raptors job, also interviewed for the Milwaukee Bucks job, and was also reportedly a finalist for the Phoenix Suns job. So. He's obviously held in very high regard in coaching circles right now. But, you know, I've just been super impressed with Jordy. You know, obviously, I'm not in Jakarta. I'm not in these locker rooms. You know, to be honest, I haven't even interacted with these players or talked to Jordy. But I think you just look at it on paper. You just look at it from afar. Like, this man was hired on June 29th. Like, this is, damn, this is less than a month ago. August 27th. It's August 27th today. So he's been the Team Canada head coach for less than a month. And probably only, you know, had these players, uh, you know, for practice, preparing them for this tournament for like the last, like, what, two to three weeks. And listen, man, like there's a lot of NBA talent on this team and talent speaks for itself. But, you know, the way I think, you know, what Jordy has done with this team, I think just has been really impressive, especially with this short turnaround. And, you know, not to reference my guy, Wendy, again, uh, you know, a second time on this classic pod, but. You know, he wrote an article about Jordy Fernandez at ESPN.com over the weekend that people should check out. And, you know, he he said, quote, his reputation for relationship building and his support system. Um, he has been a trusted assistant to two-time NBA Coach of the Year Mike Brown and NBA champion Michael Malone of the Denver Nuggets has gotten the attention of teams looking for head coaches. And Michael Malone also gave a quote to ESPN. He said, quote, he's going to be a head coach in the NBA. He's a people person who knows the game and has a great ability to communicate as well as build relationships with players. And I think this all checks out, you know, just watching the locker room clips, watching the cameras kind of pan in right now on, um, you know, the huddles and stuff like that. I think he just seems like a coach that has a great command, um, you know, has a, has a good game plan. You know, you got to give credit to to a coach, too, and not just the players when it's a three-point game at the halftime against France, and you're able to come out and beat the team by 30 um, in the end. That was in the first game in group play, right? So, 
um, I think I think this is only going to raise uh, Jordy's profile, and I, I would I would be shocked if he was not a head coach by by next summer when when the next coaching cycle comes up. And uh, listen, man, not to be not to be uh, ESPN first take, but I did write in my notes: Did the Raptors hire the right guy? Um, you know, this is clearly unfair to uh, Darko Rakovic, currently under the weight of a a lawsuit. Um, thanks to Mr. Azotan, but. Listen, we haven't seen what Darko can be from from a head coach, right? All the content that we've seen from him as an assistant, like, you know, all the interviews that, you know, Eric Kareem from The Athletic wrote a great article, you know, detailing, chronicling his, uh, Darko's career and his coaching journey. You know, I, I know Will's done a lot of great uh, research and interviews. I mean, he talked to Darko himself as well um, after he was hired. Shouts to Raptors PR. Um, and, you know, we don't know what Darko is a head coach, right? We know he has a reputation for player development. We know that he's never going to pass up a chance to say something good about Scotty because, you know, no conspiracy theories, but I believe that was one of the conditions of being hired as the next Raptors head coach is is that you have to, um, you know, really hone in on, on building a good relationship with Scotty because, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how well Double N and, and Scotty uh, got along. And obviously Scotty's very important to the team's future. But man, I look at the way I look at I look at Jordy's calming, you know, presence. I look at what he's done with Team Canada so far. It's hard for me not to think like, man, like this is a really important hire for the Raptors, right? The roster is still being turned over. Um, you know, Fred Fleet leaving this summer. You know, the championship days are behind us. I believe Masai specifically said, did he say it this year? He was like, yeah, we got to get over the championship. Um, but, you know, here we are. You know, how far we've fallen now. I see people doing like Jeff Down Jr. propaganda. What are we doing here? Um, but you know, hard for me not to think like, man, imagine, you know, you know, team Canada finishes, I don't know, could, could we dare to dream that they could win the FIBA world cup? Like they win with FIBA world cup and then Jordy Fernandez heads to Toronto to start his first training camp. I think there would be a lot of excitement there. So, you know, may, maybe the biggest loser out of this is Darko Ryakovic, because I think the magnifying, is it the magnifying glass? The lens? How do you like? You know, like people are are. I don't even know what expression I'm trying to make. I'm sorry, guys. Um, you know, I've put in 33 minutes of effort on a Sunday. This is a world record for me. Um, like, you know, I think. Oh, is it the microscope? Yeah, the microscope's going to be on Jordy. Um, heading into on Darko. What I'm talking about, man. I need to drink a coffee, man. This is what people say in the morning when they mess up, especially at corporate jobs. It's like I haven't had my coffee yet. Um, I hated that, and that's why I left my corporate job. Um, anyways, so. You know, the microscope is going to be on Darko in, in training camp. And I think this is just going to make the microscope bigger. Let's move on from that analogy, please. Um, so second player, uh, second person that I have who has the most game from the World Cup, I actually put down Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, you know, from watching the France game. And, you know, just watching Nikhil, um, even a few years ago when he was on Team Canada, you know, he's bounced around in the NBA, um, started his uh, you know NBA career with New Orleans, got traded to Portland in the CJ McCollum deal, then was right away flipped to Utah, and then landed in Minnesota uh, at the trade deadline this past season with Mike Conley, and then re-signed with the Timberwolves. Um, you know, he's a career 39.7% uh, you know, shooter from the field, uh, 33.9% from three. But when you've seen him in this international competition, especially him coming off the bench, I don't know if Lou Williams is like the best comparison because their games are clearly not the same. But just from like a role standpoint, like you're looking for that score coming off the bench, especially when like Jordy's like to play all bench lineups at times um, or sometimes like we saw, especially in the first half uh, against France, like, you know, the team Shea was struggling on offense. They couldn't make a single three. 
um, like Nikhil is just a very reliable guy that you can bring off the bench as an offensive option. And he's the guy that I don't mind having the ball in his hands with like eight seconds left on the shot clock to, to create a play. Um, so I've been super impressed by him. And I think there's a lot for him um, that c- can be gained from this tournament. Now I'm always careful making the international competition comparison to like the NBA level. I call this like the Carlos Arroyo uh, corollary. Like Carlos Arroyo was amazing um, in international play, but was never more than just like a role player in um, in the NBA, right? And you see a lot of these guys. Like even I think Dennis Schroeder is a really good example. Like this guy looks like a superstar at times when he's playing on Germany. Like it's just a different game, different you know set of circumstances when you're on an international team. You know with that particular roster, with the competition that you're going up against. But I really think for a player like like Nikhil, who's, who's like I've always been intrigued by, um, just as an NBA player, just because it seems like he does have the skill set um, to maybe be kind of a new age Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams type, um, just as kind of microwave score off the bench. Haven't seen him really settle into a great role in the NBA yet, but you know, and and listen, man, like I don't know what the opportunities will be like. Uh, in Minnesota, especially as they try to sort out touches for, you know, Anthony Edwards, who seems like he's ascending. They still got Rudy Gobert there. They've got the big meow there. So, uh, but I do think like a great tournament here, um, you know, like, I don't know, like, like maybe he can translate this to, to the NBA level at some point, or, you know, maybe, I don't know, like I, I just look at him as a player um that that feels like there's a lot of potential there and like he's gonna bounce around he's already bounced around in the nba but i feel like eventually he he's like some teams definitely gonna just find a spot for him listen you know what the, you know what that team is gonna be it's gonna be the san antonio spurs man they're gonna have victor wambayama the whole whole team's just gonna you know color their hair blonde because apparently he colored his hair already um and you know somehow you know we're gonna lose our top six protective pick to them they're gonna get like the perfect sidekick for one by yama and then somehow they're gonna trade for Nikhil alexander walker and he's gonna be like the perfect player for them when they're in the finals um in, in 2026 so I'm, I'm i'm that's my prediction for Nikhil alexander um who's my uh, number one cousin in the game right now next to next to richie from the bear so number three i have dylan brooks i actually wasn't sure if it made sense to put dylan brooks here in terms of who has the most to gain because to be honest this man got a four-year, $80 million contract from Houston when everybody said, get ready to learn Chinese. You know, he's going to be playing in Asia. He actually is playing in Asia right now. I'm playing very well for uh, for Team Canada. And listen, I was one of the hardest critics of, of Dylan Brooks as well. You know, he had a very publicized playoff flameout, uh, you know, talking all that trash to LeBron and then, you know, shooting them out of games once again for the second straight playoff, uh, you know, uh, season um for the second season of the playoffs man sorry man english not my first language also it's sunday um and you know it seemed like you know i mean there's always overreactions when when players um you know flame out like that in the playoffs and and you know i had to remind myself sometimes too that like you know for as much as like dylan um you know hampers his own team sometimes where it just seems like like he can't help himself he also brings a lot to the table right like we know he's an all defensive player and even watching the way that he came out in the second half against France and deed up Evan Fournier, who was on his way to like an 81 point performance to embarrass all of Canada, like he really set the tone. And, you know, it's cool seeing him hitting like buzzer beater shots and things like that. And you've seen him like, you know, after dunks and things like that, flex a little bit. And like, you know, I think this team needs that energy. Um, you know, as, as great as a player as, as Shea is, he's a little bit reserved. Um, you know, you know, except for his uh, off-court fits and his IG captions. By the way, he writes these IG captions that are like 
uh, raps. And, you know, not to say I'm a rap enthusiast just because I can rap Eminem's Forgot About Dre verse to perfection um, down to the voice and, and, you know, the cadence and everything. Um, and the fact that I freestyled like six times on the show until my mom started watching the show on Sportsnet and I didn't want to embarrass my mom, um, but was somehow okay with embarrassing myself, uh, which would which also embarrassed the family anyways. Uh, but that's a whole whole uh, different story. Uh, shouts to people who have offered to uh, drive my parents to uh, my, my UFT book event on October 26th. Um, I don't know what's uh, more stressful, having a stranger drive uh, my parents uh, home from the event or, or me having to drive my parents all the way back to uh, you know parts unknown uptown. Um, but anyways, what I mean to say about Dylan Brooks is that I think he's quickly on his way to to kind of rehabilitating his his reputation. And I'm not sure how much of that he needed to do. Again, he got a $20 million per year contract from the Houston Rockets. You know, granted, Tillman Fertitta did uh, come to free agency with, um, you know, two golden chocolate bars and handed one to Fred Van Vliet and handed the other one to Dylan Brooks. And, you know, inadvertently caused, um, you know, World War Three between James Harden and Daryl Morey. Because I think James Harden thought he was going to Houston until Ime Udoka was like, no, um, I actually want Fred. Um, but, you know, I think I think his performance here, and again, I might be speaking too soon. We might be talking about in a week, you know, Dylan Brooks went, you know, over eight from three in the second half of a game against Brazil and shot them out of a game. Who knows, right? Like, like I think that's the fluctuations you get with a player like Dylan. But, you know, a strong performance here at the World Cup and then for him to go into training camp uh, in Houston for a fresh start, I think will be, um, that's the best case scenario for him, especially how his season ended against the Lakers in the first round. And, you know, complete sidebar, I'm actually very curious because I know Fred and Dylan are being brought in not just for their on-court contributions, but they're brought in essentially to be the leaders of that young Houston team who has not been able to break a full-court press for like five years. I'm actually really curious how the Fred... Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, uh, leadership council is is going to look because two very different personalities. I have no question that the two of them are, are are going to really get along. And I've seen the shooting numbers; like they have the potential to be like the worst shooting duel in like NBA history, like based on all the open shots that they missed last year. But I would expect some correction there. But very curious. Put that on a, one of my top one hundred storylines to look forward to for the uh, 2023-24 NBA season, which reminds me that should be another banter pod that we should do. Aside from going through the entire 82-game Raptors schedule and assigning wins and losses, uh, also, uh, we should Will and I should combine our brain powers and force ourselves to come up with top 100 storylines for this upcoming NBA season. So, so those were my uh, three people who have the most to gain uh, from the FIBA World Cup on, on Team Canada. I got Jordy Fernandez, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Dylan Brooks. Before we finally get to the three stars, Gerald Henderson Award, and I can get on with my day after dropping this iconic performance. This is like, you know, when a 38-year-old, I don't have a comparison right now in the NBA, like when a 38-year-old, you know, former star, you know, comes off the bench and just has like an absolute throwback performance, like 38 points type beat. This This is how I'm feeling right now. So final segment, you know, joke a lot. You know, one of my running jokes back in the day when X, uh, um, you know, formerly known as Twitter, was actually a good place to hang out at was just thinking about obscure jerseys, right? Like, uh, you know, I used to make a joke that like, hey, man, you know, this would be a great jersey for Coachella 2030. Like, I don't know, Kwame Brown, Lakers, that would be fire. 
um you know you know i've collected you know i'm not like a crazy jersey collector um like my guy kai shouts to shouts to sexy beast but you know i've had a few obscure jerseys in my day um like i'm not trying to roll through uh you know a, a function most likely at Hongxing or or june plum or in vintage we trust those are the three places we go to in the city um you know i'm not trying to roll through in like an obvious jersey um like a luka Doncic slovenia actually though that's that, that one is kind of hard though anyways my whole point is that you know obscure jerseys are my thing right um you know shout out to Takashi. i literally donated uh you know a uh not donated that sounds bad i gifted my coveted jalen harris raptors jersey to Takashi on my recent trip to to tokyo um so fiba world cup i mean these 32 teams um and the players that are on it um some players that i've just like forgot about some players ending up in countries because they got um you know their citizenship naturalized and all that stuff there's some great jerseys man so i wanted to just tell you my top 10 fiba world cup jerseys want to give an honorable mention to yuta watanabe um from japan can't put you in the top 10 because you you still haven't had ramen with my boy will yet so you know i you know i gotta defend my bro there so no utah watanabe in the top 10 uh dennis schroeder uh dennis schroeder from uh you know the germany jersey is is pretty hard but trust me when i started doing this research there are so many great jerseys that the dennis schroeder germany one which i would totally wear um did not make it also shouts to dante exum um who i did not know is back in the nba now signed with the dallas mavericks a lot of hype on exum back in the day when he was coming in dante exum australia jersey honestly it would be kind of hard so let's do this top 10 uh i didn't rank them but i guess i could rank them live on air right now uh one more honorable mention lorenzo brown former raptor former raptor slash raptor 905 so he is out um due to health reasons at this FIBA world cup but he is part of team spain lorenzo brown spain jersey would be kind of hard so that's the final honorable mention so let's go here's the top 10 at number 10 santi aldama um who for some reason i fell in love with when the grizzlies came to toronto last year just felt like you know the raptors had zero role players coming off the bench uh you know contributing anything that's not true shouts to chris boucher um and i was just really jealous that the, the grizzlies were like here's our 15th man santi aldama Again, that's also not true. I'm pretty sure, um, you know, if a Grizzlies blogger is listening to this, he can tell me that Santi Aldama was actually an important part of the rotation last year. But a Santi Aldama Spain jersey, I think would go kind of hard. Um, so I'm going to put that at number 10. By the way, the way I, I like, you know, put these on the list or decide what to put on the list is like, if I saw this jersey in a store, would I be willing to buy it? Um, and I would be willing to buy all 10 of these. Next up, oh man, I'm going to save this one actually. Um, so next up is a Simone Fontecchio. Uh, Italy jersey I think any Italy jersey is great I'm actually you know people sometimes ask us about like vintage and like what we like to buy um you know in terms of like sports apparel I'm obsessed there's like a couple of like subcategories that I'm obsessed with uh the 96 Atlanta Olympics every time I see a tee I see a pin I see a hoodie hat like I will buy it like it's no questions asked I just love the branding from that Olympics um and and then one of the other subsets uh, of vintage that I really like it's just vintage, like Team Italy. Like I have like a Team Italy, like rugby shirt. Um, I do have a vintage Team Italy, um, like soccer jersey, uh, but it doesn't fit me. So you know, definitely check the measurements on eBay before you buy stuff, um, so you don't get in these scenarios with me. Um, you know, I, I think I bought like an Italy hat last time when when they won. Was it the Euro Cup? I can't remember. Soccer fans, just don't correct me. It's 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 getting late, and by late I mean it's it's past noon right now on a Sunday. But, uh, you know, uh, Simone Fontecchio, 
who's a member of the Utah Jazz. Did you know this? I learned a lot doing research for this pod. I'm not going to lie to you. But an Italy jersey? Man, the Italy colors always hit across different sports. So that is number nine for me. Oh, man. These are really tough to choose from because they are all top-tier jerseys. So number eight, I'm going to go with my guy, Zach Eady, Team Canada. Like, if I'm getting a Team Canada jersey... I definitely need a Zach Eady. Actually, I had a chance to meet Zach Eady and his mom last summer when they were in Toronto, and we like did a CCY event. Just you know, he was hooping uh, with little kids and like kind of you know showing up to one of their practice sessions on Saturday. It was super cool to be able to talk to his mom, who at the time was super excited that Edie was part of the Team Canada squad. She was talking so much, um, you know, about the relationship that Zach was building with Nick Nurse, you know, who, of course, ended up bailing on the on Team Canada. <laughs> I, love, I love making it sound like, um, you know, as someone who, uh, you know, runs away from responsibility all the time, maybe I just shouldn't give Nick Nurse a hard time from running away from Team Canada responsibility. So apologize to you, Double N. Look forward to new colorways on your website. But anyways... You know, I'm rooting for Zach Eady. You know, he obviously had a great individual season in college uh, this past year, um, as I'm trying to think of the team. Yeah, for Purdue, of course. Um, and, you know, their team lost in, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. You know, I think he tested the waters about going into the draft and, you know, ended up coming back now. He's coming back for uh, another season at, at Purdue. So, you know, definitely one of those guys, um, you know, obviously with the with the Chinese connection that I, I'm keeping an eye on, that I'm rooting for. So, uh, Zach Eady, if I were to get a Team Canada jersey, it would definitely be Zach Eady. I believe that is number eight. Oh, man, this is this this is already getting tough, man. Number seven, uh, let's go with Nikola Jovic, uh, Serbia. You know, Nikola Jovic, as everybody knows on this program, is the uh, Pacific Mall two-time MVP. Um, I also saw that Jovic, because Serbia is playing in Manila right now, I want to say, that's where Team USA is as well. Met up with his uh, NBA head coach, Eric Spolstra, and they hung out for a little bit, which, you know, isn't that a little awkward right now? Because isn't Jovic one of the players that has been, uh, you know, spoken about in this, um, you know, poo-poo platter package that the Miami Heat are are offering um, or may have offered the Portland Trailblazers for Dame Lillard? Like Jovic is in there, you know, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and then a bunch of picks. Um, I'm going to need that um, saga to end because I saw Dame Lillard this week in an interview with Mark Spears. I believe he was promoting something else, but of course, Mark Spears is a Hall of Fame journalist, actually in the Hall of Fame. Um, had to ask him about the trade demands and, and Dame was like, yeah, you know, I don't want to talk about the Blazers, but also I, I, I can publicly confirm that, yes, I have requested a trade. Like this is like, this is like waiting for Goku, um, you know, to show up, uh, you know, on Namek and actually you know, take on Frieza. Like that took 45 episodes. We're heading towards that with the Dame Lillard trade. And to be honest, the saga is just not interesting. Um, this man's going to drop. You know what? I'm, I'm going to battle Dame Lillard um, in a rap battle um, at some point. Um, that's the only reason why I want the Raptors to, to get in on this Dame Lillard thing. But yeah, Nikola Jovic is number seven, a Serbia jersey. Come on, that's kind of hard. Oh man, next up. Ah, I'm gonna go with Jordan Clarkson, Philippines. Philippines also have great colorways in their jerseys. That's number six for me. I believe Philippines are now 0-2 um, in, in the tournament, so they're gonna be eliminated. But I know the fans there in Manila were like super excited. Um, this is all based on secondhand information that I got from uh, Brian Windhorse of, of the Hoop Collective. So now we're into our top five. 
you know what? I don't know how it made it this far. Um, you know, shouts to uh, Raptor Show favorite, the Big Meow, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Dominican Republic jersey. Honestly, don't love the player, but love the jersey. You know, um, love the jersey, hate the player. That's the new. Um, you know, love the player, hate the game. Love the game, hate the player. I'm not sure. Um, number four. <laughs> number four got to be Rondé Hollis Jefferson Jordan. Um, yeah, I mean that one is pretty self-explanatory. By the way, remember when Rondé Hollis Jefferson was on the Raptors and he filmed this IG story talking about whether dinosaurs were real? Uh, one of the top eleven social media moments in Raptors history. I, I dare you to name ten better. Um, and now we're down to the uh, medal podium here. So this is the FIBA World Cup jersey podium. So the bronze medalist goes to my guy, Lee Kai-er, a.k.a. Kyle Anderson of Team China. Even though uh, Will sent me his uh, stat line from his Team China debut at the FIBA World Cup, and I believe he put up a Tony Snell. Um, he did cardio and shot over nine, which is unfortunate to see. But a Kyle Anderson Team China jersey is uh, is definitely something if I walk into a store, I might have to get one for myself and get one for Will as well because we've established if you listen to the banter pod how much he likes to, to wear red. And now we're down to two. The silver medalist goes to Thanasis Atantakumpo of Greece. Now we know Giannis is uh, out because he's recovering. I believe from surgery, he's recovering from injuries. So he's not there for Team Greece, but you know who who is there. Uh, fellow podcaster, uh, number one brother, number one bro in the league, Thanasis Atantakumpo. I think this would just be an amazing jersey. I, I have to fact check this. So do when when they when they play when the brothers play on the national team, do they put like T dot Atantakumpo and G dot Atantakumpo? Um, these are the things that really mattered to me. So shouts to Thanasis. Hope he's creating content while he's at the FIBA World Cup. And number one, number one jersey. I don't know if you guys could have guessed this one. Wenyan Gabriel, South Sudan. Come on. That's a fire jersey. We know Wenyan Gabriel. Um, he has ties to the Raptor show dating back to the fact that he was actually responsible for starting the Will Lou Chris Boucher beef, which predated uh, the Raptor show. But but now the two of them are best friends. But there's no, you know, when I was scanning through all 32 rosters um, on the FIBA World Cup site, as, as I was doing a deep dive research into providing this classic content for you on a Sunday, this one was a clear-cut gold medalist to me. South Sudan on the front, Gabriel on the back. You actually can't top that jersey. So shout out to my guy, Wenyan Gabriel. Let's do another time check here. I cannot believe I just did 54 minutes. So three stars. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, it's me. So um, uh, third star, Trey Bell Haynes, um, who played really well today. Second star, Jordy Fernandez, uh, my favorite coach at the moment and uh first star goes to zach Eady because whenever you go six for six per my rules on my react pod you get the first star gerald henderson award actually goes to me alex wong for providing this react pod so we'll see what happens against latvia on tuesday obviously a great start for team canada and i guess i gotta lock in orin weisfeld um you know my nephew is sleeping over on tuesday so you know what am i gonna do like is he gonna sit next to me while i pod um is he gonna make a cameo um well we'll figure all that out but uh yeah that that does it for us well what do we usually say at the end so subscribe rate listen no not subscribe rate listen subscribe to the podcast really do appreciate everybody for listening and tuning in especially in the off season i think 
you know, the offseason is a good chance for us because during the season, obviously, very basketball focused. We want to provide the best Raptors coverage, like put our best foot forward there. Love those corporate terms. Um, offseason is a time for, for Will and I to, to kind of, I don't know, break the fourth wall. Shouts to Fan Expo that's in town this weekend. Um, and just, you know, not not just the banter, right? Like, I think with all the banter pods, too, like, we do try our best. And I think we make a very conscious effort, um, especially in the first hour, first hour and a half. I mean, I know we end up talking about Smeagol and Deagle, but we make a best efforts to really cover, like, any Raptors news that's important. Um, any Raptors related things that are happening in the city, like the Raptors reunion or huge NBA news, right? Like James Harden, um, you know, playing Dance Dance Revolution in China or, you know, Giannis's comments in the New York Times uh, about, you know, maybe leaving Milwaukee when he hits free agency. So we try to provide a good mix um, in the offseason. And, and to be honest, like I really appreciate it. And I know Will will say the same, too. Um, if if he was here and, and not sitting in the bleachers at Wrigley Field right now, is that we really do appreciate people, um, you know, especially listeners, like loyal listeners, like, you know, really engaging with that content. Like, I, I can't tell you guys, like, how much it means to to just, like, you know, get a message from someone or, like, run into someone on the street, you know. Um, you know, I love the greetings on the streets, by the way. It, it varies from, hey, Alex, to, hey, Sportsnet. Like, people just call me by my company like if i worked at apple would you come up to me and be like hey iphone 7 like i don't think you would do that anyways um i think it's time for me to check out before i go on another one hour rant so probably perhaps back on tuesday i know will has promised he's going to do some kind of group stage recap on wednesday so thanks again listening to the raptor show with will lou and without will lou i will talk to you soon